Welcome to the State of Business with the Ohio Society of CPAs. I'm Jessica Salerno Shoemaker, Senior Content Manager at OSCPA, and this is the show where we bring you the latest news impacting the business and accounting world from top experts. In this episode, I'm speaking with Reginald Lee, PhD and a business analytics professor at Xavier University and a co-founder of Business Dynamics and Research Limited. Reginald and I talked about the trap many businesses fall into when they are looking at cash savings and efficiency. The sales pitch that promises, you'll save $5 million if you buy X. Reginald explained how that's not always the case and how it's so crucial for CPAs to look at business improvement opportunities such as these in a different light. He'll be speaking on this topic at our fall accounting shows, and here's what he had to say about his upcoming session. The situation I run into is this. With a lot of companies, they will want to make improvements. They will do lean, for example, of business transformations. They'll buy software. They'll hire consultants. And the question is, when you do that to improve the organization, are you getting the cash returns that you look to get? Are you expect to get? The challenge here is that in many cases, the tools that people use will not calculate the cash returns. They'll calculate what I call accounting returns. And here's an example of that. Let's say that you've got someone who makes $50,000 a year. A consultant comes in and says, I can make them 10% more efficient. So they claim a $5,000 savings. However, you're still paying the person $50,000 to be there. So there's no cash savings. And so what happens is we don't differentiate between these accounting savings, which could be tied to efficiency, for example, and cash savings, which are tied to money. And so in this particular conversation, what I'll do is I'll focus on helping people understand the difference and then helping them understand how to make decisions and how to model situations and improvement opportunities to make sure they're getting cash returns rather than just the accounting And when you are talking to accountants, CPAs, is this something that you have seen top of mind for them? Or is this topic kind of, they're like, oh, I hadn't thought about it from that perspective. I don't think that many have thought about it from that perspective. And I think part of the reason is that we have just such a traditional way of quantifying the benefits of projects that no one really even thinks about it. Um, For instance, a number of years back, Oracle using these techniques similar to the one I mentioned before promised $2 billion in savings. No one questioned how they calculated it. And so therefore they thought, oh, that's a big number. Let's go with it. And so I think that because no one has really challenged how we quantify benefits and quantify improvement opportunities, that is not top of mind. But if I am a CPA and I'm looking at an organization, let's say for instance, I've got a client firm And let's say that they want to borrow money so that they can buy new equipment. Now, in that context, if I don't calculate it properly, calculate the benefits properly, it's quite possible I'll make a significant investment and not get the cash returns. So if I'm a CPA, what I'd like to be able to do is coach my companies and being able to understand, here's how you need to quantify this benefit to ensure that you don't increase the risk associated with spending a lot of money on an improvement and not getting the cash benefits. Also, when we think about promising benefits to companies in the work that we do, the idea is to make sure that we understand this is how the benefits, how the benefits will be realized from a cash perspective for you. I'll give you an example. 
was dealing with the CFO of an organization here uh, about a month or so ago who had read the book. And he said, you know, one of the things I really love about your book is this. He said, a software salesman came in and tried to convince me of the money I was saved by buying a software. I told him, no, I'm not saving money. I'm going to become more efficient. I'm going to have better data. My people can do things faster and with higher quality, but I'm not saving money. In fact, I'm spending money because I have to do this. And so that put him in a position to be able to say, this is where the true value is. This is how I articulate the value and the extent to which CPAs can help their CFOs do that. It's going to improve the performance, the financial performance of their organizations. And Reginald, earlier you mentioned um, that the maybe they're not quantifying things the way um, that maybe should be looked into further, like when you mentioned the Oracle, Oracle example. Mm-hmm. And that's not because they're being negligent. It's just they're not thinking of how to quantify something in a way that, hey, like you mentioned, maybe this actually isn't saving us money, even though it appears it might be. Right. I don't think they're being negligent at all. I just don't think that anyone has challenged the approaches that we all use. Yeah. You know, for instance, when I worked for uh, worked in the big four environment, we use those techniques to justify all types of projects. But I don't think anyone took a step back and said, well, hey, is this the appropriate way to do it? And so I think that what we're finding is that as people start realizing that this is an alternative way of looking at this, And that when I look at these savings tied to efficiency, for instance, that's not going to drive cash improvements in and of itself. When they realize that, then they can take it on and say, yeah, this is an approach I'd rather use use than to say, well, you know, I'm going to use my space 20% more efficiently. So therefore, I'm going to save all this money when my lease prices, for instance, are still the same. Does that make sense? It does. And I'm curious when you mentioned people maybe not thinking of it from this approach, do you get any pushback when you're, you know, working with clients or giving these presentations when you explain, you know, this, this alternative way to look at it? I, I, I do. And I don't let's start with the, I do, I do get pushback in the context that people who haven't really thought about the process of improvement and how that ties to cash they don't necessarily understand it. For example, go back to the person making $50,000 a year. When we calculate that savings of $5,000 from being 10% more efficient, people will say things like, well, okay, okay, so I still pay them. However, I can sell more. I said, well, that doesn't always work because if I'm making an accountant more efficient or I'm making someone in HR more efficient, what it is that they're more efficient at doing, I can't sell that that's not an opportunity. They may also push back and say, well, okay, but what if it's a salesperson? Well, if it's a salesperson, I might be able to sell more, but if there's no demand for the product, I won't. So there are a lot of different factors that when we start really digging in deeply that say, hey, this improvement in and of itself won't necessarily save you money. And so I generally have good arguments against those who push back. Where I I do have problems um, sometimes isn't dealing with product costs. Um, so for instance, uh, you know, I make coffee cups and I, I, I calculate a cost of $10. I become more efficient. So I reduce that cost from $10 to $9. What I explain is that still the cost that you pay to have the materials, the cost that you pay for labor, the cost that you pay for overhead from a cash perspective doesn't change. 
And so I'm not necessarily saving money by becoming more efficient. And so what I explain is that efficiency enables me as a manager to do things differently. For example, if I'm more efficient with my labor, perhaps I can choose to create more output. There are a lot of caveats associated with that, but I can choose to create more output. That's a choice. That doesn't mean that the, the improvement created that. It created the opportunity for me as a manager now to make that choice. Ran into that issue with, a, with a, uh, actually a client who sold a project yesterday where um, they're having problems with throughput. And so if we can make them more efficient, then it's quite possible that they can increase the throughput to drive more sales, but they can still choose to create output at the same rate, even though they're at an improved level of efficiency. The same thing happens with material consumption. So what we try to explain, and I talk about this in the book, and also we'll talk about it in the presentation is, here is the anatomy of a, of a project and how it drives improvement. What it does is it makes you more efficient. And then from efficiency, it allows you to make decisions. When people see that process, then they buy into it. When they get it right away, like many do, there's no pushback at all. Generally, a lot of people are welcome, welcoming to the, welcome to the idea because they realize that there's something wrong there. If I buy ERP software, for example, I'm not saving $50 million. I'm still going to have my people working there. I'm still going to pay for my space. I have, now have to buy the software. So they realize in their minds or log logically or notionally that there's not going to be a financial improvement. This explains why. And when they see it, they get it. So those are some of the people who I get absolutely no pushback. And in fact, they get encouragement. Those where I get the pushback generally are initially, that's not the way I understand it to be. And so there's that kind of question back and forth a little bit until I explain to them, this is how the process works. And then see, ah, okay, now I understand what you're saying. And kind of along with asking if you get pushback, what are some of the questions that you get when, when presenting this approach, typically in sessions? I think the biggest, the biggest, I guess, question area is how do I document the improvement? And so what I do is I've got this tool called a capacity map. And with the capacity map, I'll show them, okay, so this is what you're buying. So for instance, I'm buying a laborer for eight hours and paying them uh, $30 an hour. So for that day, it's going to cost you $240. So that's how much you're spending. Now, this is how much today that you're consuming of what you bought. Let's say seven, hour, seven of the eight hours, right? So I'm using seven of the eight hours to create output. So this capacity map helps you understand Here's what I bought. Here's what I'm spending. Here's how I'm consuming it. And here's what it's creating. Okay. Now, what we do with capacity maps is say, with the improvement, how will that process change? What I buy will still be the same. I still buy an eight hour uh, shift. So I still pay $240. And that's why I don't initially have any cash savings. However, if I can create the same output now with six hours, I can see that now I have two hours available to me versus one hour. So I can make decisions about what do I want to do with that time savings. And so this graphically helps people see what the benefits and the changes are from improvements. And then that's how we document the improvement. So that's generally um, the, the, the biggest question area is how do I document this? How do I make sure that I understand what the impact is going to be? Um, but in terms of calculating the benefit and calculating cash and non-cash costs, um, I kind of kind of put that, that notion aside, there are two types of costs. The non-cash cost is the accounting cost. 
I make you more efficient. I save the $5,000. The cash cost would be, I don't need you for as much time. So I'm going to hire you part-time and pay you 45,000 versus 50,000. Now I'm paying you 5,000 less. And so helping people understand the difference between cash and non-cash costs becomes important as well, because most of the time, when you talk about big benefits of improvements, the huge savings from software, for instance, those are going to be non-cash costs in most cases. When you start thinking about the huge benefits from business transformation, that's going to be non-cash costs. It's talking about efficiency and putting a value to efficiency and not to what I'm spending. So sometimes there's question about that. Um, looking for clarity, even sometimes pushback um, until I explain this to folks. Okay, so help me understand as a function of this improvement, if it's going to save you a million dollars, how are you spending one million fewer dollars as a result of buying software, as a result of the Six Sigma team coming in, as a result of this business transformation? Help me understand how you're spending a million fewer dollars. And if you can't, it's not going to be money. It's going to be the value of the time or the value of the space that you're saving and not the cash that you're saving. I'm OSCPA President and CEO, Scott Wiley. And if you haven't already, remember to register for the Women, Wealth and Wellness Conference on July the 22nd. Join hundreds of your peers and hear from inspirational leaders across multiple industries about embracing your power to overcome setbacks, break boundaries, and build the life and career you want. Go to ohiocpa.com backslash www to register today. And are there any industries that this is um, especially applicable to, or is it kind of across any business, any industry can use this approach? Any industry, any business can use the approach um, because it's not tied to what the company creates mm-hmm. or offers. It's tied to how they operate. Mm-hmm. And so whether, uh, you know, I think about this as a small firm, right? So if I think about something such as, do I need to buy equipment? So for instance, I'm starting a YouTube channel. So I start thinking about, all right, so all the equipment that I buy for the YouTube channel, how's that going to translate into revenue? Or is it going to translate into revenue? If not, I'll acknowledge that. But what I won't do is create false narratives such as, well, my time is worth, you know, X hundreds of dollars an hour. And so therefore um, I'm saving this amount. No, there's no calculations like that. So even with a small firm, you can start thinking through what are the investments I need to make? Are they going to create opportunities for improvement? Are they going to create cash improvements and being able to understand the difference between the two? Um, all the way up to I've done this with uh, Fortune 100 companies. So from one to three people size businesses, all the way up to many, many thousands of, of folks. You've mentioned your book a few times while we've been uh, talking. Can you tell me more about what uh, your book entails and what readers would would get from it? Sure, sure. So the book ties to my consulting work and problems that I saw when people went to select projects, when they went to justify projects doing traditional cost-benefit analyses, um, and when they implement the project and what the problems are associated with that process. And so what I begin the book talking about is, um, first of all, how we calculate fake savings, um, the importance of avoiding that, and how it's important that we have a process that helps us identify what projects should we consider 
How well do they align with the, um, with the strategy of the organization? And are they capable of generating cash improvements or not? Some projects can't. For instance, if I go to a, a strategy project for a company, that project's not going to generate any money for the organization. It's only when they execute the strategy that they could potentially see a difference in terms of how they improve, how they operate the organization. So it's the execution element of that that's important. So a lot of companies don't have a process that helps them select um, projects and understand the upfront elements of it initially. Secondly, um, when we talk about the cost benefit analysis, what approaches are you using to calculate the cost benefit analyses? For instance, um, when I mentioned the non-cash savings, if you're using that, you can't compare a non-cash savings to cash savings. But what, what companies will do is they'll combine both. For instance, with Oracle and their $2 billion, I believe if I recall correctly, about 1.5 billion of that were non-cash savings. Only about a quarter, uh, half a billion of that was in reduction of, of staff and such, right? So that when I'm reducing the staff, I'm not spending that money. If I'm making people efficient, I am spending that money. I, I'm still spending that money. And so when they do the cost benefit analyses, they have these huge, these huge savings. They say, see all the benefit that's here. And so what the book points to is that's not going to be cash. That's going to be potential opportunity due to efficiency improvements. Now you have to do something with that, that efficiency improvement. So it changes the way we look at calculating um, the value in our cost benefit analyses and doing our uh, return on investment analyses. So it looks at both of those. And then finally, when it gets into execution, one of the key points, Jessica, is this. The improvements are going to improve efficiency. As a result of improving efficiency, I as a manager now have to make managerial decisions that's going to drive to cash savings. So when I implement the software and it's, the software promises improvements in inventory, I have to make the choice as a leader. Do I buy less inventory? How am I managing the inventory right now? How am I determining the finished goods that I need or the finished goods that I maintain? I have to change that. The software is not going to change that. I, as a leader, have to change that. If I talk about labor savings, if I've got to reduce people, I, as a leader, am going to have to act on, unfortunately, getting rid of people to reduce my labor costs. And so what, I, what it identifies is the importance of managerial decisions as a result of this improvement what can I do now differently as a manager to drive improvements on the back end? So this changes the narrative when it comes to implementing, because generally people want to just implement what was approved. But what this forces you to do is think through as a result of the improvements that come, what differently do we need to do? And so it focuses on the activities, the business activities and managerial activities that must occur to drive the, the cash benefit on the back end. So it lays out the process, really kind of, you know, the cliche soup to nuts. It starts off with how do I select projects? How do I ensure that they're aligned with the, um, with the strategy all the way through to implementation and taking a look at the value projected, the value realized, are we getting there? How do we capture the differences and how do we go back and close the difference between what we projected and what we realized? And so it just lays out the entire process. It's a fairly straightforward process, but it's a process that a lot of companies don't have in a mature space. And so it lays out the ability for companies to say, this can be our process. This is what we'll use to make sure that we're considering all the projects equally. We're calculating the benefits similarly so that we understand truly what the business value is going to be and how to drive cash on the back end. Reginald also told me more about benefit inflation. Give you an example, right? I was working big four 
and um, finance team came in to sell it in the ERP implementation. And they promised $50 million in savings, which they needed a big number because the software is going to be, software and expenses were going to be very high, right? And so when we went and looked at the numbers, they were off by an order of magnitude, maybe, maybe $5 million, maybe. And so with benefit inflation, what's happening is people try to create these huge financial benefits to justify expenditures. And since a lot of that savings is non-cash, I may find myself, for instance, spending $25 million on software thinking I'm going to get a $50 million return when in fact the opportunity may be $5 million. And companies don't see that. That's what Oracle did with the benefit inflation. $1.5 billion was not cash. So if people think, think oh, well, I could save $1.5 billion, of course I'll spend uh, you know, $50 million, $100 million on your improvements because all this is going to come back to me. It's not. It's not. And so I think the benefit inflation is real. I see it. I, I've done it as a consultant. And once I realized it was wrong, I stopped. But when it comes to buying things for organizations or when it comes to articulating value, this benefit inflation is a huge deal. And it's something that I think that um, you know, people need to understand. Yeah, it's out there. I may do it. And what is it that, that I can do to keep that from, from being the case? In fact, I talked about this on a podcast recently, a pricing podcast, where the guy was talking about um, articulating the value of what it is that you're selling. And I told him, yeah, a lot of times salespeople will talk about these benefits. Yeah, you're going to become more efficient. And this is the value of the efficiency. So what doesn't it make sense to buy my product? And I said, you're misleading them when you do that. Because if the infrastructure is still going to be there, they're not saving any money. And so we got to rethink those kind of things. Thank you to Reginald for joining us to talk more about ensuring maximum cash ROI. You can hear more from him at our upcoming fall accounting shows and by his book available online now. Go to the link in our show notes for both. What would you like to hear on the podcast? You can always let me know at jsalerno, J-S-A-L-E-R-N-O at ohiocpa.com. And please be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.